The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. strategic and intentional actions, Jesus is saying, I came so that, and here's what's revealed, so that they, now that's me and you, might have life, and that they might have it in abundance. I mean, the idea is more abundantly, is is how most uh, Bibles translate the word there, and I want you to consider more abundantly in this fashion. It means, uh, whatever your measure is, think more. If it's more abundant, if you're like, well, okay, well, well, this much, no, more abundant. Well, okay, well, well, then this much, well, more abundant. I mean, it's meant to be this infinite, you're never going to get to the measure of life that Jesus has for you. It is ever increasing. That life which he's called us to is full, complete. It is, it is undivided. It cannot be measured because it's absolute and infinite. We use words like eternal, and oftentimes, Our minds are so limited, and that's not an insult, you know, but our minds are so limited, we think of eternity as kind of a long stretch of time. Like, man, this pastor's been speaking for eternity, you know, long stretch. Well, if you're thinking long stretch of time, you're you're thinking in a measure. Time is a measure, you know. So when we think of this, we have to realize that what Jesus is revealing is that he came to bring life into the world, and no matter what measure you come up with, think more. Well, we're going to go with this measure, think more. We're going to go with this measure, think more. We're going to go with this one, think more. He is brought infinite life in his coming. Uh, I I want to tell you something about this passage here because it it means a lot to me, and I hope that it translates. You know, sometimes you can get hung up in details, and and it just doesn't translate, and it it introduces an element of of monotony or, or maybe even boredom. But I want you to dial in, and I hope that you catch this It has an effect on you like it has on me. I mean, when I read this passage of Scripture, I have to think, is that really what it says? Now, don't think for a second that I'm questioning the word. What I'm asking is about the translation. Is that really what it says? I mean, obviously, Jesus wasn't speaking English. This wasn't written down in English. It's been translated. So when I ask things like, is that really what it says? What I'm wanting to find out is, what, what was the original word spoken? What's the original language? Well, this would have been recorded in, in Greek, and so when, I'm, when I go, I go to a, a concordance and look up the words, and, and I, I find out, you know, what the word actually meant. So Jesus says, I, I came that they might have life. The word that, that is interesting to me is, is the word might, like might have. I use that word, and it, it means it's not a lock, Right? Like if you asked me, hey, uh, do, you, do you want to go to lunch after service? And I said, well, we might, you know. It's not a yes. It's not a no. It's hanging in limbo, right? And, and, and a lot of times we, we get out of, of things by not being committal to them. You know, we don't want to commit to that, so we leave it a hard maybe, you know. And you know the people that, that do that consistently. It's like make a decision, you know, get in or get out. You can't just leave everything a hard maybe, you know. But when I see words like might in the scripture, I I ask myself, like, what's it really say? What's it really say? Because I use that word differently than it might mean or it may mean so that I'm not using the same word. 
And so when I go to this word, I'm looking at it, I'm really moved by the, the definition, the origin of the word, the, what, it, what it means. I mean, it's not introducing this, this situation that's, that's noncommittal. It's not Jesus saying, hey, listen, I'm coming so that, you know, you could have life. I mean, it could go one way or the other, you know. But he's saying, I'm coming in so that this is, is something that it will exist in your life. The word might have is, is, is powerful in its definition. In fact, let me give you uh, one of the things that it says here that I think is really worth looking at. Uh, it, it's, it's joined together by the bonds of one of the following. Blood, like family, marriage, friendship, duty, or law. I mean, Jesus is basically saying, I came so that you might be married to life. So that there could be a, a bond between you and life that will be unbreakable. I mean, many of us are, are aware of the unbreakable bond of family because of Thanksgiving, you know. It's like, this is my family. There's nothing I can do about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, I hate to, to joke like that. You get it, though. You got to keep it light. But this is the word, you know, so that they might have... It's about introducing this, this connection to life that is, is very severe. I mean, it's absolute. When I think about marriage, you know, and I consider the, 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 the success rate and the failure rate of marriage in America today, I literally just think, you know, people have no idea what they're agreeing to when they exchange vows. I mean, I think about my wedding vows and they're terrifying. I mean, they really are when you consider how severe those things are. I mean, basically, it's a poetic way to say no matter what. I mean, I know you like what you see right now. But even if I just turn into a total ogre, which time has proven is going to happen. Right? I mean, no matter what. You have these vows that are binding in their absolute there's no clause to escape. That's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, I've come so that you might be so connected to life that it'll be an unbreakable bond. And this is a blessing to me to catch this because there are things that I do that I'm ashamed of or humiliated by. There are failures in my life. And what I'm realizing is, wait a second, no matter what is trying to creep in and introduce shame or frustration or disappointment into my life, I can stand and say, thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, I'm married to life. There has been a bond introduced into my being that is absolute in its connection to life. And no matter how my puny mind can define it, it's always more. More, more. Right about the time I think I've got my mind wrapped around it. Father, I've seen the, the measure of your grace. Praise your name. It's more. It's more. It's more. Life is a wonderful thing. I want to talk about life for a moment, and I want to contrast it with the opposite. And I want to do that for a reason here, because this is a season of life. I mean, when we consider the birth of our King Jesus, we're talking about life. When we consider the birth of, of children today, it's an issue of life. And it's a real issue in this country. You know, you have a, a, a real challenge there with, with what is life and how we consider it. I want to offer this to you. Now, that's not a political statement. It's just the idea that Jesus being born is an issue of life. Life is a wonderful thing. 
that God has set before us. I mean, he, he, he tells us to choose it, which is a really incredible thing, to choose life that we might live, which tells me that, that every day there are choices involved in my, my everyday being, decisions made, thoughts thought, things embraced or celebrated, things participated in, things rejected. Those choices and decisions either result in life or death. I mean, righteousness or sin. Righteousness bringing life, sin bringing death. The wages of sin is death. The result of sin is death. That's something that we really ought to, to catch and embrace. Very easily written off as poetic, embraced as scripture, but not really put to practice. But the reality is sin results in an absolute corruption that can only be defined as death. And death is not our friend. I mean, now we've talked about this on occasion, but there's, there's something that, that Christians in an attempt to, to uh, uh, cope with, with the passing of loved ones, which is a real thing, we tend to make death somewhat poetic. And we shouldn't. Death is your enemy. Death is my enemy. Uh, the scripture says that death is our enemy. In fact, it says it's the last enemy that will be abolished. So if we're making a list of all the things that Jesus is going to take out, you could put them in line, and the one at the end of the line is death. And let me tell you something. He's not your friend. When Jesus takes him out, you're not going to say, but he's such a nice guy. Do we have to do this? We're going to celebrate when we see death abolished. So death isn't our friend, you know? I mean, we, we, we talk about death as being like the gateway to heaven. No, Jesus is the gateway to heaven. He said, I'm the door. I'm the door that you enter by. Nothing beautiful about death. Death is our enemy. In fact, Jesus has delivered us from death, and we make no partnership with him in any way, shape, or form. Jesus said, I'm the door. Anyone who enters through me, he'll be saved. Death isn't the door to heaven. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's no other door. By the way, if you wanted it for your notes about Jesus being the door, John 9, or John chapter 10, verse 9. So here's something that I want to celebrate, that, that we know life, not death. When Jesus came into the world, it wasn't so that we could all then enjoy death. Jesus came into the world to bring life and life in abundance. He didn't say, I came into the world so that you might be partners with death, so that I could make a friendship between you and death. He said, no, I came to bring life, which has nothing to do with death. It's the opposite of death. And I came to bring it in abundance. So right about the time you've wrapped your mind around how much life I've brought into existence in your being, think more, think bigger. This leaves zero room for the embracing of death. It's about the celebration of life. As we celebrate the coming of our King, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, we are celebrating the fullness of life. And when we embrace and celebrate the fullness of life, it shoves out of the way any room for any partnership with death. And Jesus speaks about this. I mean, Christians know life and not death. I want to read a few passages to you, and we're going to get to the point, which ultimately is light. You'll see that in a moment. John chapter 8, verse 52, Jesus says, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. You'll see that in Matthew 16, 28, Mark 9, 1, Luke 9, 27. Jesus says this, and he says it a lot. He talks about never having to, to taste or, or to see death. 
Hebrews 2, verse 9, uh, it says, But we do see him, now that's Jesus, who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, was crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. That's a really powerful passage of Scripture. I mean, so here's something to consider or to think about. I mean, when I talked about going to a dark place, that's one of those dark places that I might find myself. That, that death it would be a good thing or, or, it, or an easy thing or, or it might be a helpful thing. The reality is death is my enemy. That's a dark place. We need to stay out of that dark place. We need to keep in mind what is true, what is right, and that is that Jesus is the fullness of life. And Jesus leaves no room for a partnership, friendship, or any kind of agreement with death. He's our enemy 100%. And because of his suffering, because of his death, he tasted it for everyone. He tasted it so that I don't have to. He tasted it so that you don't have to. Jesus identifies himself as this in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, the living one. The living one. And he, he, by being the living one, he makes this statement, I was dead, and behold, I am alive. Was, past tense, am, present tense. I was dead. I am alive. And I love the word that follows alive. If you're going to circle, underline, highlight any word in that passage, forevermore. When you read that passage, that's, where you, that's, that's, the, that's the glory right there. That's where you find it. Forever. And he goes on to make this declaration because he tasted that, because, because we're in a place now where we have an agreement with life, a partnership with life, and no room for one with death. He, he makes it very clear that in tasting death so that we won't have to, he has the keys to death in Hades. He says something again that needs to be noted. Now it's written through the prophet, but it's revealed to him by the Holy Spirit in Revelation 20:14. That death in Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. I mean, that's that judgment. That's that thing that you and I will witness and be aware of and we will celebrate. We won't see death be destroyed and say, "Hey, that was my ticket to heaven. That was my doorway to heaven." Death is our enemy. Jesus came to bring life. And when we consider this, I think it's important for us to, to consider this reality that's attached to it. That death being an enemy, it, death therefore is an entity. Death being able to be destroyed means that, that death is an entity. I mean, if you want to call it a him or a thing or a, or a, a person or what, I mean, that's, that's, we struggle for the vocabulary, but let's just go with entity. I mean, it, it's something or or has a, a, an identity, and it will be destroyed. What Jesus has taken out of the way <clears throat> is who or what we deal with. We don't deal with death. We deal with Jesus. If my body were to fail today, I would not encounter death. Praise God. I would encounter life. I would encounter Jesus. He's the door. I wouldn't have to you know, make my case to death as to which side of the river I'm to go to. 
Jesus is the door. And what he's taken out of the way is all dealings with death. That's what we celebrate here. And when I see or I think of or even when I hear the cry of a newborn baby, all I can think is that's the sound of life. I had a picture that, that I kept hanging in my office, and I loved it so much I had one in my home for years and years and years. It was a picture of the nativity. And what I was drawn to was how real the, the, the infant was. You know, I mean, most of the time, poor Mary, she gave birth to a 25-pound monster baby, you know, where you see her there, and she's just doing one of these, you know, and then you got Jesus, who's like, (laughs) it's just so you can see him, you know, I mean, you you got, you got cattle and oxen and donkeys and wise men and all that, and you don't, the, the feature is Jesus, so if you just have this little tiny little... You know, I mean, you want Jesus to be at the center. So we make him like he's like the six-year-old that was just, you know, delivered. It's like, wow, this is the longest pregnancy I've ever seen, you know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <clears throat> but I love the, this, this piece of artwork because the, the, it was realistic, you know. Uh, this, this baby was, was so realistic. It, it was... It was even hard, I'm sure, for the artist to not try to, to exaggerate in order to, to keep the focus on Jesus. But it's like the most non-consequential piece added to the, the artwork. It, it's like this, this little tiny feature right there in the middle. But the reality is that little tiny feature is, is carrying all of the weight of the entire message of that piece of art. That there lies life. Everything that we celebrate Everything that brings about the deliverance that we enjoy, that we uh, hang all of our faith on, is embodied right there in that little tiny newborn baby. Everything that would strip the keys from death and Hades, everything that would once stand and make the declaration of truth, that life has come into the world and life in abundance, that we could be bound to life, that we could have the bond as strong as marriage and family, duty or law. Jesus revealed who he is in John 11 when he says in verse 25 and 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he passes away or dies, Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. The one who believes in me will live, even if he passes away or dies. Uh, These are things that we wrestle with because people that we know and that we love pass away. The reality is, is when they do pass, who do they deal with? And for all of those who are found in Christ, they don't deal with death. They deal with Jesus. They deal with life. So that's where I wanted to go in this. I mean, that's a really long intro, but it's meant to set the table for what we celebrate. Life. I want to give you a passage of Scripture with this in mind. What is life? What is this life that Jesus brings in abundance? What is this life that we celebrate when we see that newborn in the manger, when we, when we consider the, the, the frail cry of that little baby and him representing deliverance from all death and all corruption? I want to give you a passage of scripture here for, for today's message. 
we could choose a number, but I want to use this one. John chapter 1, I want to look at verses 1 through 5. Beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. Now here's where I want us to really focus. In him, now this is Jesus, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. That's a, a really poetic way to say light wins. And I love this passage of Scripture because of its encouragement that light wins. But I want us to consider what verse 4 says, that in Jesus was life, and it was that life, and it is that life, I should say, that is the light of men. That life that Jesus would say, hey, this is why I came. I came that you might have life, that you might be married to life, that there might be a bond and an agreement that is unbreakable between you and life. That life becomes the light of men. It becomes what illuminates me. It becomes what keeps me from being in darkness. It becomes what has an effect on my heart and on my mind. And as we celebrate the Christmas season, it's so much more than, than a string of electric lights. It's the reality that everything that is life-giving, everything that has the power and the authority to deliver from death and all corruption has come into this world and made a binding agreement with me that I might be partnered to life. That will brighten your day. It's the light of men. So then the question is, how do we get this? I mean, if I find myself in need of this, how do I obtain it? How do I get it? If I find myself struggling, if my thoughts are wondering, if, if the effects are not being tangibly felt, what do I need to do? What Jesus says is true. He's the life. He brought life, and it is in abundance. But what if I'm not in that life? If I'm not seeing the result of that life, what must I do? So that this becomes more than academic and just an increase of Bible IQ, but that this becomes something that we realize God's brought into our lives for a purpose so that we can apply it. I want to offer this to you as a passage of scripture to use. I told you one of the things we're going to find is how to stay out of the dark. How to stay out of the dark. I want to give you this passage of scripture as how to stay out of the dark. John Chapter 8, verse 12. It reads like this. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember, that light came into the world and that light was the life of men. Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it ever abundantly, always meaning more than we can measure. When we look at this passage of Scripture, I think it's worth taking a moment to break it down. Jesus is saying this again, that he's the light of the world, and then he's revealing how we can stay out of darkness. He who follows me 
will not walk in darkness. The result will be, but they will have the light of life. If our goal is to stay out of dark places, we can apply this passage of Scripture and we have a really powerful instruction. How do we stay out of the dark? Make sure that we're following Jesus. What that tells me is anytime I find myself in the dark, Jesus didn't lead me there. Something else did. Something else that is attempting to lead me astray from the truth that Jesus came that I might have life and that I might have life abundantly. There's an attempt throughout our culture to lead us astray from this. I can tell you, you'll find it in in every stream of media. I I think I've told this story before, and, and that's okay. Since I'm a pastor, I can tell the same stories all the time, right? Like you get a free pass on that. I had injured my hand and, and I had to, uh, to go and have a, a therapy done. Now, I'm not a, a touchy person. I don't like that, you know. I mean, like, if we have an anniversary come around and I'll say, hey, what would you like? You know, Ashley will say something kind of tongue-in-cheek because she knows that it's like, oh, she'll say, hey, let's go get pedicures together. You know, it's like, no, no, I don't. Uh, I'll go and I'll watch you get one, you know. But I don't want anybody touching me. Don't touch me. Yeah. So, so, you know, I have this hand injury and I, I have this uh, uh, prescription by the surgeon after the surgery. There are multiple surgeries. They, they send me to hand therapy, you know, and it's not, you know, your hand doesn't lay on a couch and ask about how it feels about it. You know, how do you feel about your parents or something like that? They, they just kind of work your hand and it's very physical and there's a lot of touch. So I go there, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to have hand therapy, you know, and I show up, and, and you know, uh, praise God, she's very sweet, but it's a lady who's sitting across the, the table from me, and she just grabs my arm and pulls it out there and just starts rubbing my hand. And I'm thinking, God, I hate this. And then she starts talking to me. I'm thinking, God, I really hate this. And then I realize what's going on in the background. It's the, just the worst music you've ever heard. It's all about adultery and fornication and making bad choices, but we're okay with it because it feels right. The words were horrible. And she's just rubbing my hand and looking at me in the eyes, and in the background there's a song about spending the night together, and I just look at her, and I, I, I said, um, can we change the music? And, and she said, Why? I just don't like that. I don't want to put that in my head. I think that's wrong. I don't think you can put that in your head and it not have an effect on how you think. She looked at me like I was crazy. She said, well, what would you want to change it to? And I said, I don't know. Do we have any like Christian music or, or, or praise and worship or something like that that you could play? She said, well, I don't want to offend our customers. And I thought, have you heard the words that are playing? I mean, I, I'm... You got one right here, lady. I mean, this is, this is really weird. But she looked at me like I was nuts for thinking that that could have an impact on how I would think. I'm thinking, you're going to soak in this all day, and you're telling me that your thoughts will never be adulterous or never be just foul in general? You can't do that. It's just bizarre. 
But there, in every outlet of media, there's an attempt to get us to drift away from, from life. I remember one of the songs that played, and you know how radio is, right? They're the worst. It's like they only have like five songs that they play on a loop, you know, and then it's air commercials, and then they play them again, and the air commercials, and play again. And one of the songs was, was really bad, and it was about dying young, and it, they made it sound so poetic, you know, and here I am knowing that, yeah, death isn't my friend, you know, I mean, I know that, but everyone else in this place doesn't know that, and they're just, I found myself driving in my truck, and I started singing that song. I mean, I was singing it, and I, I caught myself, and I thought, uh, I don't like that. The reality is, it got put in. It's still in there, and I despise it. We need to be very careful what we allow in. Now, I grew up in a church that was, uh, you know, you probably know this church. We were the first church of the petition, right? Now, you guys are looking at me like I'm not joking, like I'm not, that's a joke, right? First church. I remember movies would come out, and we'd pass around a petition. You know, you, we don't stand for that, you know, pass around. You go, it, it, did it do anything? No. They showed the movies, and they did the reality is it's not our job to alienate everyone who indulges in those things. It's our job to simply not indulge in them. I mean, I don't think that it's my job to, to tell everybody that they are, are, are awful or, or this or that. I think it's my job to live as the light and let my light testify that this works. You're meant to be a living, breathing example of the success of righteousness. Now, I don't think that being first church of the petition is all bad, but I can tell you it, it didn't do anything. But when everyone comes into agreement that we're called to be the light, that in staying out of the dark means following Jesus, that's in all things. And I don't say this opening the door for hypocrisy. I make bad choices on occasion. Choices I regret. I'll step into or enter into to something, you know, that is, is by definition sinful, and I'll be humiliated and, and, and just devastated and crushed by it after the fact. And it, it's really uh, awful, the, the feeling there. And I'm glad that we don't suffer shame, rather, because of the Holy Ghost. We suffer conviction. That feeling and awareness that, that we need to separate from that and embrace what's right. So I say that to, to remove any hypocrisy from the following statement. But I think it's important for us to examine every choice and decision and weigh it against this. Is Jesus leading me into this? Based on this passage of scripture, I mean, to stay out of the dark, we need to be led by Jesus. Jesus again spoke, said, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. Not might not, or, or should not, or could not, I mean, it won't happen. That means if you're following Jesus, you stay in the light. We could literally ask in every choice or every decision, is Jesus leading me to watch this movie? Is Jesus leading me to listen to this music? Is Jesus leading me to, to talk to this person or, or to, to function in this relationship? Is Jesus leading me to, to, to handle this situation this way? Is Jesus leading me in this direction? And I think it's a really excellent way to, to be committed to staying out of the dark. Oftentimes, we, we tend to just kind of play roulette with our decisions or choices. 
where, where it's more about responding to the conviction in the aftermath, where we're really not being led away from those things, we're being led out of those things. And it's funny to me that when you hear Jesus pray, and of course, the Lord's Prayer is not meant to be a, a repetition or a prayer that, that is simply recited. Rather, it's meant to be an instruction for the things that are important to pray about. You know, one of the things that's prayed is, is lead me not into temptation. We don't talk like that, you know. I don't say, you know, cook me not spaghetti. I say, hey, can you make hamburgers tonight? You know what I mean? We just don't talk that way. But the reality is Jesus is included in his prayer, protect me from temptation. Lead me in the way that's not tempting. Lead me in a way that's righteous. Keep me in the light. Don't let me find myself in the dark and then have to be delivered all the time. But you could be out in front leading me. Just like the example in the Old Testament, fire by night, cloud by day, no matter what the circumstances, I see you and I'm following you. We stay out of the dark when Jesus leads. I think we could ask that about choices, about decisions. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Jesus, are you leading me into this? Everything in your life is one of two things. It's either a direction or a distraction. It's either fulfilling the purpose and the destiny that God has on your life as a believer, or it is detracting from it, taking away from it. There's wonderful things to apply from the scripture about staying in the light. I want to offer this as a passage of scripture. I think it's an important thing to apply here involving the eye. Luke chapter 11, verses 34 through 36. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, the whole body also is full of light. But when the eye is bad, the body is full of darkness. Watch out that the light in you is not darkness. If therefore your whole body is full of light, there'll be no uh, dark part in it. It'll be wholly illuminated as when a lamp illuminates you with its rays. We ought to be careful what we watch. Be careful what you look at. Be careful the things that we turn our eye to. That's very easy for us to think about the, the immorality that exists in our media and you know, the, the, the uh, sexual immorality and the pornography and all of those things. And those are very serious things. That should be front and center in any discussion that involves this passage of Scripture and its promise of light. I also want to offer this. In a, in a season that we identify as, as Black Friday, be careful what you look at. There are things that I don't want until I see them. Why do you think they're going out of their way to put it in front of you? Why would they spend millions of dollars on commercials? Because they know if you'll see it, you're going to want it. Why is your Alexa or your Siri listening to what you say so that it can then show it to you on your phone? You know that's happened. Because there's something powerful about seeing it. The Bible calls it the lust of the eye. And it's a destructive thing to give into. We need to celebrate light. We need to protect our eyes. Be careful what we look at. So why is it that life comes through light? I want to offer this in these, these scriptures here as we close. Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. It says, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. The fruit of the light consists of all goodness, 
righteousness, and truth. That light that enters into the world through Jesus, that is the light of men, is, is consisting of or is producing as fruit goodness, righteousness, and truth. I want to offer you a few scriptures that, that speak of goodness or the doing of good, righteousness and the results of it, and truth and the results of it. And I want you to understand that these are the things that enter into our life through Jesus. As it concerns goodness, you can write down this for your notes, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Now, this is a sermon being preached. It's being preached by someone who witnessed firsthand the accounts of Jesus Christ, and they're being defined as this. The scripture reads, You know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Ghost and with power, and how he went about doing good. There's your goodness. Now, here's the result of doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. The result of goodness in my life and through my life is healing from the devil's oppression. The result of light coming into my life, the result of light through my life should be deliverance or healing from the devil's oppression. Goodness. Now on to righteousness, Romans 8.10. In Christ Jesus, through Christ in you, the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. You have life, that same life that we have spoken of that Jesus would bring in abundance, always more. That life in your spirit magnified over and over and over again. So you see healing and you see life in the spirit. And then you see this as it concerns truth, John 8, beginning in verse 31. To continue in the word of God is to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Healing and life and freedom, all of these things are the result of light, that light that is the life of men. And that life that entered into the world and became our light. And there's an interesting thing that I want to consider as we close. And I mentioned before of the things that we were going to find. What we need to grow. What we need to be growing. Again, not what we need in order to grow. But what we need to be growing. Psalm 97, I want to look at verses 11 and 12. It reads like this. Light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. The idea that light is sown like seed causes me to realize that I'm a light farmer. You're a light farmer. I have an, a background that's agricultural. I uh, enjoyed farming in my youth. I operated as a farmer for a number of years. And I have a, an affection for the, the concept of agriculture. I can tell you this, when it concerns growing something, it never happens by accident. I mean, even today, you know, my family, in an effort to, to celebrate all of the the lessons that can be learned through anything agricultural, we'll plant a garden or, or have a number of plants that are meant to produce on our behalf. Uh, for my children's third Christmas, they got shovels. I'm devoted to this, right? 
The only thing that I've ever grown by accident are weeds. The only thing that I've ever grown by neglect are weeds. That which doesn't produce fruit. That which only takes away from those things that are fruitful. Drawing resources and choking out. But to grow something, to farm something, to to cultivate something is to be very intentional. When I functioned in agriculture, every aspect of my daily schedule was devoted to the productivity of the farm. Every chore, every minute scheduled to work, it was all extremely intentional. And if light is sown like seed, and that means once those seeds are planted, the question is, what am I doing to produce the harvest? Am I just hoping those seeds will take off and and do well on their own? Or am I devoting my life to seeing to it that the things that are light in my life have everything that they need to grow and to prosper, to multiply? I mean, to consider yourself a light farmer would be to, to step into that place that God would call you to, to see to it that your choices and your decisions magnify and multiply the light that has been sown in you in Jesus. I want to offer this to you as, as we close, as, as something to consider and something to, to walk in as we celebrate this season of lights. That all of the goodness and all of the righteousness and all of the truth that are the result of light are not only meant to be bestowed upon us as gifts that we receive from our loving Father through Jesus, but they're meant to be the gifts that we freely give as it was freely given to us. To function and to operate in such a way that choices and decisions are seen as either following Jesus and being led out of darkness or following something else and being positioned to compromise. We're called to produce light. Jesus came into the world with the declaration that he is the light of the world. But upon his ministry and his impartation to you and to me, he would say you are the light of the world, all because of that which has been invested and planted in you. We have the opportunity to cultivate those things, to multiply those things, to magnify those things with the choices, the decisions, the words, the attitudes that make up our daily life. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Whenever you deliver a... a, a word or a message like this, you're always anticipating that God will will emphasize an area, a point of ministry. And I want to tell you the area that's emphasized in my life, and I think it's because it's the area that needs to be emphasized in my life, and I'm going to hope that it translates to your life. And it's the promise to stay out of the dark, to never be led into the dark by following Jesus. I want to pray, I want to ask God to do something in us that will transcend our our current commitment to Christianity, but that we would truly be sheep in God's pasture with Jesus as our good shepherd.
I mean, it's one thing to sign on to, to the overall morality of Christianity and be a part of a, a body because we have a need for fellowship. I mean, we're here because there is a need for connection and, and community. But to understand that the, the, the community and the connection is, is a wonderful result of the call of our shepherd to come to a pasture, to be led by Jesus, to follow his leading, and to take on the idea that he is our good shepherd, is to fall under his protection and his covering, to be led by his wisdom and his direction. I've made so many wrong turns throughout my life, I could use the direction of Jesus Christ. And I've suffered at the hands of the oppressor. I could use the protection of Jesus Christ. And in this case, I found myself, though I have been exposed to the light, fighting being in the dark. And I think for you and for me, we need to commit a fresh understanding to the idea that every choice and every decision is either following Jesus or following something else. And if we can take something that simple, it's not easy, but it's simple, and apply it to our lives, I don't think there's a man, woman, or child in this room that won't love the results. A commitment to follow Jesus as he leads us into light. I want to pray over us this morning. You're welcome to be in a state of agreement or just simply receiving the prayers we pray together corporately this morning. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the word. We thank you for the abundant life that you have brought into us through Jesus. We thank you for that uh, agreement, that binding agreement that we have with life. Let there be an awareness that the light that has entered into this world through our King, the light that we celebrate in this Christmas season, the light that is Jesus, has brought the life abundantly into us that you promise. And we ask, Father, to be protected from wandering into the darkness. Will you let a work be done in us, in our hearts and in our minds, that Jesus Christ would be our good shepherd, that choices and decisions would be uh, uh, submitted to his leading and his direction, that there would be a sensitivity to his counsel and that we would not easily be led astray by the distractions in this world. But let us stay focused on all that's true and not be manipulated by those things that are false. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name, that Jesus lead us and guide us in the choices, the decisions, the words, the attitudes that make up who we are, that we might stay out of the darkness and be constantly led in and through the light. And let the light have a wonderful and powerful work in and through each one of us, that we might come to know the full measure of goodness and righteousness and truth in our own lives. And let goodness and righteousness and truth be spread through our lives as your light not only shines upon us, but is magnified and shined through us into this world. And let the result be your promised victory, that darkness will not overcome it. We bless your name, and we thank you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, and all the saints declare, amen. amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.